A 45-year-old male arrives in the emergency department in Saskatoon, experiencing severe emesis, shortness of breath, bradycardia, and profuse sweating. He describes decreased mood over the past few months, leading him to ingest insecticide as a suicide attempt. As you are working him up, he begins to lose his airway and subsequently has to be intubated, mechanically ventilated, and transported to the ICU. Organophosphates, while primarily related to unintentional poisonings from skin exposures in North America, exist as an ongoing means of self-harm in the world. Worldwide, the mortality rate for these patients is about 10%. However, when treated early and appropriately, this can be significantly reduced. These patient presentations are often subtle, requiring an in-depth history and physical exam accompanied by prompt management with atropine and pralidoxime. Today, our patient has organophosphate poisoning, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Sweating the Organophosphates and is all about organophosphate poisoning. All right, time for a minute physiology. Neurons depend on the transmission of signaling molecules, also known as neurotransmitters, in order to fire and pass on each message. Acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter that influences both autonomic and motor-based signaling. Following signal transfer, enzymes called acetylcholinesterases break down acetylcholine to stop the signal. Organophosphate exposure can occur through the skin, mucous membranes, inhalation, or ingestion. When exposed, organophosphates irreversibly inhibit cholinesterase, leading to a buildup of acetylcholine in nerve synapses. Over time, the inhibited cholinesterase enzymes go through a process known as aging, where a permanent conformational change takes place. Only replacement of the enzymes can lead to resumption of normal signaling, a process that can take weeks. Consequently, clinical effects of organophosphate poisoning manifest from overstimulation of both nicotinic and muscarinic acetylcholine receptors. Let's go see our patient. Before discussing organophosphate specifically, let's talk about an approach to the poisoned patient. A standard approach is the ABCDEFs, which include airway, breathing, circulation, decontamination, elimination, and find the antidote. First step should always include airway, breathing, and circulation. Is their airway clear of secretions? Are they breathing and is their chest clear? What is their heart rate and rhythm? After addressing these three elements, you can then look at the direct cause to determine your ability to decontaminate, eliminate, and find the antidote. All right, on to the organophosphates. Organophosphate poisoning presentations vary based on agent, route of exposure, and the total exposure. Sources can include agricultural pesticides, including malathion or parathion, or old household toxins, for instance, diazinon or chlorpyrifos. Many exposures are accidental. However, intentional poisonings are a common cause of self-harm in the developing world. 
Organophosphate poisoning can be broken down into three clinical syndromes, acute poisoning, intermediate syndrome, and organophosphate-induced delayed neuropathy. Acute poisoning cases arise within the first 6 to 24 hours after exposure. CNS symptoms, including headaches, tremors, or restlessness, can occur. Muscarinic receptor stimulation, which lead to parasympathetic symptoms, remembered as the mnemonic dumbbells, spelt D-U-M-B-E-L-S, include defecation, urination, muscle weakness, meiosis, bradycardia, bronchorrhea, bronchospasm, emesis, lacrimation, and salivation, while nicotinic activation can cause symptoms including muscle cramps, fasciculations, and paralysis. Intermediate syndrome occurs in some patients with organophosphate toxicity approximately one to five days after exposure. Symptoms can include paralysis, decreased deep tendon reflexes, proximal muscle weakness, and respiratory failure. Once at the intermediate syndrome, the cholinergic symptoms seen in the acute poisoning period are often absent. Finally, organophosphate agent-induced delayed neuropathy can also occur in the late stage. This is often slow and insidious, arising over the weeks following ingestion, and is not linked to the initial severity of the poisoning. It can include changes to your cognition and peripheral nervous systems. This can include a neuropathy in a glovin stocking distribution, which can progress to symmetric polyneuropathy with accompanying flaccid weakness. On to our workup. Initial workup for any poisoned patient should include CBC, extended electrolytes, albumin, liver enzymes, lipase, blood glucose, serum osmolality, venous blood gas, lactate, salicylate, alcohol, and acetaminophen serum concentrations, as well as an ECG. While the majority of these will be normal, these are important to assess for any potential co-ingestions or conditions. In organophosphate poisoning, the ECG may show sinus bradycardia, heart block, or a QT prolongation. Initial imaging may include a CT head to rule its structural pathologies depending on the patient's level of consciousness and symptoms. A chest x-ray should be ordered if the patient is short of breath, as pulmonary edema from lipoid pneumonia can occur from respiratory exposures to organophosphates. The diagnosis of organophosphate poisoning can often be made by history, physical exam, and an atropine challenge. Atropine is often dosed for symptom resolution, starting at 2 to 5 milligrams IV, and should be doubled every 5 minutes as needed. Collectively, these can suggest organophosphate toxicity, but it is always important to be mindful of other co-ingestions or pathologies. For confirmation of organophosphate toxicity, your key investigations will include a plasma butyryl cholinesterase or a red cell acetylcholinesterase. While these tests can help confirm the diagnosis, they often take a long time to return and should not guide initial management. When back, they can determine disease severity, displayed as a percentage of normal activity, with mild cases having 40 to 50% of plasma activity, moderate having 10 to 40%, and severe less than 10% of plasma activity. Let's talk about treatment. 
It is critical to remember that the treating healthcare provider should wear appropriate PPE to prevent contamination. This includes neoprene or nitrile gloves, a gown, and a face shield. Patients should be treated in a monitored setting with cardiac monitors and pulse oximetry. During this time, two peripheral IVs should be started and isotonic saline should be infused. The airway should be controlled using a non-rebreather mask at max oxygen flow, with suction available to clear secretions as necessary. However, since secretions can place the airway at risk, often these patients require early intubation. Decontamination is essential to prevent further exposures to the patient via contaminated clothing or residue on the skin. Patient clothing should be removed and disposed of as hazardous material in bags. The patient should be washed in dishwashing liquid with water, paying careful attention to hair and skin folds. All the water from this process should be disposed of as hazardous materials. Ongoing treatment should focus on administering atropine as an antidote, which acts as a competitive antagonist to acetylcholine at muscarinic receptors. Initial doses should start at 2 to 5 mg IV for adults and can be titrated using an IV infusion as necessary for therapeutic effect. You may observe improvement in the patient's symptoms. Improvement of life-threatening pulmonary symptoms should dictate further titration, with an increase in the infusion every 5 minutes to therapeutic effect. Improvement of the tachycardia and medriasis should not be the goal. It is important to note that atropine doses can be dramatic, with hundreds of milligrams given in massive ingestions. Remember that atropine does not bind to nicotinic receptors and therefore will not reverse muscle paralysis. In order to do so, paladoxime should be administered at a dose of 30 mg per kg IV bolus followed by 8 mg per kg per hour. Atropine should be emphasized over paladoxime. This therapy helps most in acute exposures, with responses seen in the first 10 to 40 minutes after administration. On to our Medicine Minute. In August 2020, a man was poisoned using the cholinergic agent from the Novichok group of agents. This case revealed one of the best clinical documentations of chemical warfare using cholinergic agents. The Novichok group of agents were originally developed in the Soviet Union in the 1980s and have recently drawn increasing scrutiny from international bodies to ensure their regulation as a controlled substance. The patient originally presented after collapsing 10 minutes after the start of his symptoms during a local flight in Russia. Initial reports noted hypersalivation, diaphoresis, respiratory failure, and metabolic encephalopathy, among other findings. The patient was transferred via air ambulance to Berlin and treated using a mixture of mechanical ventilation and unspecified medications over his stay in hospital. The diagnosis was made when the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons Lab with the German Armed Forces were able to isolate an organophosphate nerve agent from the Novichok class in the blood samples from the patient. While this showcases a rare episode of weaponized cholinergic medications, there is an increasing need for awareness of this clinical toxidrome and its management, given it is a common outlet for suicide in developing nations. With early recognition, patients experiencing cholinergic toxicity can be saved. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Sweating the Organophosphates. 
This episode was written by Dr. William Kennedy, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Jonathan Zapersky, clinical pharmacology and toxicology, and Dr. Jonathan Dean, general internal medicine. This episode was recorded by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Nathan Duknick. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Allison Lai, Leah Karadnopoulos, and Zara Morali. Theme song by Lakshan Fazantha Mohan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we have an associated infographic and resources on our website at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again soon.